0: It's the 10th episode today.
1: I know. Is it? Oh Yeah. It's. Dashed. We
0: are 10, not like 10 years old, but, you know, 10th episode. I think that's worth, I think that's worth a mention, isn't it? Yay. And in honour, I actually did buy one of these today. There we go.
1: Got the same, Good got the stuff. silvery kind. <laughs> the silvery kind.
0: I've got the... Red. Yeah, red. i got the red. <laughs> I can say it <laughs> I've watched loads of films this week. I've watched... Uh, they are actually... I saw The King of Staten Island, which was interesting because yeah. it was Judd, it was Judd Apatow's latest mm-hmm. film. So I, I actually watched it with a far more vested interest than normal.
1: I want to watch that. Um, it's a little bit pricey at the moment. I've seen it on sort of Sky and Amazon Prime, but I guess uh, you know, it's, you're not going to the cinema, it's, if you're not going to the cinema, you can pay that amount really. So
0: I, I expect that to come down. I imagine it's just hopefully for the initial release, mm. for the first week or so. But yeah, because it's crazy. I think it was ten ninety nine. But then I suppose if you yeah. took your whole family to the cinema, exactly, you might be You're paying thirty five pounds. Yeah, so that was good. Well, I see, I saw Simon Bird, the in Inbetweeners dude, and Friday Night Dinner actor, who's just did his first film as a director, which was all right. Cool. The Days cool. of Bangold Summer, which was a low budget, cool little, totally understated uh, comedy drama. Mm-hmm. That was awesome.
1: I watched John Wick yesterday for the first time. And uh, it's funny because I've watched them backwards. I watched the first one I watched was John Wick 3 a while ago. I think I actually preferred John Wick 3 to John Wick, the first one. Um, But my husband says John Wick, the second one, is probably the best one. So we'll watch that one at some point.
0: Is it essential to watch them in any order or not?
1: No, probably not.
0: Because I'm the same. (laughs) I was quite keen to watch two when it came out and, mm. and but I didn't and then three came out I thought I've got to just see what this John Wick thing is all about but then I was a little bit put off I thought oh I don't want to have to go back and watch
1: mm. I oh, quite like John Wick 3 that's why I thought can I watch the first one so I watched it and now there's there was a bit more context I think in the third one so um, if the second one is supposed to be better, I'm kind of looking forward to that one, to be honest. But it is a lot of shooting up. It's not one for kids, is it? It's one that, you know...
0: No. It's kind of, isn't it just like kind of B-movie exploitation violence with Keanu mm. Reeves just going crazy?
1: It's like a gamers yeah. film, really.
0: Yeah. Isn't it? I think I know what to expect, so I think I will have to give it a go. Good. Um, did see a film called Vast of Night, which is on Amazon... Just kind of like an ET close encounters style mm. 60s film about this tiny little village that is visited from outer space. There's this guy who runs this tiny little village like radio station he keeps hearing these strange noises, and the whole thing plays out over just literally over like a 24 hour period. That was quite interesting. That was quite good. And oh, well, then, of course, our two films, Moulin Rouge and Lion. Yeah. which ones so this week. They were really good. Yeah, what should we go for? Should we go for Moulin Rouge? Let's do it, Moulin Rouge. This is off my list, wasn't it? This is one that I had seen before. I reckon yep. I saw it soon after it came out. So this was released mm-hmm. in two thousand and one. Yeah. As Lerman, who had already done Strictly Borum and William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, which obviously launched Leonardo DiCaprio, and this Moulin Rouge. Is the third film of what was dubbed this red curtain trilogy, and at the time I was just blown away by this because it was just a totally new take on how to do you know, how to do musicals. Yeah, and it really was kind of of its time, and Baz Luhrmann was such a. Amazing director for what he was doing around that kind of period with music. It had a huge impact purely because it was so different when it was released. So I was curious to now go back and watch it to see whether it had that same impact. So it sets in 1899. You have Christian played by Ewan McGregor, who's a young English poet who comes to Paris to pursue a career as a writer, and he meets a bunch of Bohemians who. Tell him that he should write a musical show for them to perform at the Moulin Rouge, which is this famous underworld nightclub in Montmartre, Paris. And the night they arrive at the Moulin Rouge, Christian meets Satine, played by Nicole Kidman, who is the club's star know, this stunning, beautiful courtesan. He falls head over heels in love with her. And though it takes a bit of convincing, she falls for him. And then meanwhile, you have the club's owner, Harold Zidler, played by Jim Broadbent, who invests in this wealthy duke to help basically pay for the club for this huge renovation to try and almost dig it out of this underworld kind of uh, vaudeville, uh, vaudeville field to an actual proper theatre. And Satine is desperate to become an actress and actually be taken seriously. So the duke is there to hopefully make all those dreams come true, for Zidler and Satine, but he will only pay if Satine is his. And what we then get is this crazy love triangle of twists and turns between the genuine love that Christian has for Satine and this vested interest that the Duke has and this obsession he has with just wanting Satine for, for himself. And then as an undercurrent to this, Satine finds out something which can change everything mm-hmm. uh, a- as we progress. It's her secret and slowly comes out as in the climax at the end. It was nominated for eight Oscars, including Best Picture and Best Actress for Nicole Kidman. And it won two, not surprisingly, for Best Art Direction and Best Costume Design. So, yeah, that's, that's the blurb. I loved it. I obviously watched it on the small screen. And when I was watching it, I was kind of, like, I wish I was watching this at the cinema because yeah, you get so saying... much for it. You get so yeah. much more from it because the music was still just as incredible. It's like cinematic and theatrical and operatic. And the way they mesh the, the traditional type of theatrical mm-hmm. music with the modern day tracks is just totally on the money. The way he depicts Paris at this time is stunning and a lot of it obviously is you know his visual effects but the way he nails that is fantastic I must admit that didn't hold up quite as well at least on the screen I was watching on than it did back then but it was still just Mm -hmm. as effective because the whole thing was so theatrical and yeah I just totally went along I just totally fell for this whole love story really yeah and it just it just bracketed along didn't it did breathe occasionally but on the whole it really did go from musical number to musical number I thought cleverly
1: as well I thought it was very clever in that way
0: very clever I thought Nicole Kidman was fantastic absolutely fantastic Um, Ewan McGregor I think this was quite a big role for him at the time because he probably I'm trying to remember whether this came before or after train spotting I imagine it was after and it's probably the first time anyone heard him sing you know and I think at the time maybe the performance didn't necessarily gel with everyone but I had no problem with it I just totally went with it totally fell for the story again and thoroughly enjoyed it.
1: Yeah I think he was in the singing is it a singing detective in UK uh, TV series? Uh, okay. um, but it was also just before he started filming star wars attack of the clones and he was going to be using the same studio as well for that just after uh but now I, I i was really surprised i didn't have this on my list actually um because the music and, and the musical is so strong on this it's a really theatrical very different in style but I see glimmers of what they did on Romeo and Juliet and it's so colourful and the mashup of music as I said was clever but it was it was fantastic yeah I was really impressed with Jim Broadbent's voice actually as well and a very different role for him because he's he tends to play more serious roles apart from obviously being dad in Bridget Jones but in this role it's completely different role for him very colourful character, and his singing was really good. I didn't, I didn't know he could sing, actually, and I forgot he was actually in this. There was a few characters that I, I forgot were in this. It was Kylie Minogue as well, and the voice of Ozzy Osbourne as well played the, the green uh, fairy, is it? Which was what Kylie Minogue was acting at the time as well, so it was, it was different to see that contrast, really. <laughs> The Duke as well. it was quite Weasley, played by Richard Roxburgh. I hope he's not like that all the time because he was quite annoying to be honest. And John Leguizamo was also in it, and he was in also the um, Romeo and Juliet, so carried on through to this uh, this part here. Also, that a couple of others wanted to have the part of Christian, which Ewan McGregor played. So I hear that Leonardo DiCaprio wanted this role, but he was he was a bit too young. And they were also looking at Heath Ledger to be in this role as well, which wasn't right for him either. I don't know whether he does much singing. Maybe he does. I thought Satine, or the Sparkling Diamond, she was called as well, which was played by, by Nicole Kidman. Her courtesan boudoir was, was amazing, how it was built to be shaped and decorated as an Indian elephant. And you've already mentioned the Oscars for, for art direction, that and also costume design as well but I often felt that I was actually watching a theatre performance rather than a film because occasions there'd be light lifted onto the the rooftops or the clouds with the Eiffel Tower in the background and um, you didn't see a huge amount of of Paris because it had very much an Indian flavoured feel to the set design and the, and the set design was, was spectacular, spectacular, as well as being the theme of, of the performance, um, which um, Christian, played by you McGregor, as we've already mentioned, uh, was the art writer and director for. Now, I did wonder where this Indian theme came from, but I read up that Baz Luhrmann was inspired by Bollywood films. Him and his wife would watch Bollywood films on a trip abroad to northern India. And apparently there was some resemblance between Moulin Rouge and an Indian film called uh, Pagiza, which is called The Pure One, and another Bollywood film. And Moulin Rouge has been labelled by some Indians as Bollywood in drag, which you could kind of see because there was a lot of diversity in the film um, with regards to the characters uh, one was called um, Le Chocolat, which is not a great name for an African person, really. Um, and he also portrayed a Hindi god in Spectacular Spectacular. It was very diverse, and he didn't really see any Indian people in the cast of, of the theatre performance, which was really unusual, I felt. But I don't know whether they were stereotypically playing to how many Indians may have been in Paris at that time. And then also you have the sitar player and, and the mariage <laughs> Uh, so the Mariage was also played by Jim Broadbent on Spectacular Spectacular, and it's just that all oh, that really strong Indian feel. So I can kind of understand with the diversity and sort of glitchy one minute they're acting normally, and the next minute is completely they're off. Often on one really, I would say.
0: You're right. Yeah. The Indian element and the Parisian element also mixed, and because it was always established in some ways with the elephant. So maybe they were kind of drawing on what was around Beautiful
1: elephant as well.
0: That was amazing. I didn't even notice. To be honest, it took me a while to realize that so much of it was based in different rooms or different floors in that elephant. Um, And it Mm. took a while. I didn't actually notice that that was the courtesan's home, if you like, because you saw it from so many different angles.
1: Yep, it was just kind of magical really That elephant room they called it Where Satine thought Christian was a duke at first And she was trying to seduce him And a serious overacting going on there uh, It was just like, what on earth is she doing? The only thing I didn't like is the Roxanne song I don't think I liked it the first time I watched it I don't like it this time either And where the duke is attempting to almost rape her as well And that scene was quite crude And and, and you it know, wasn't very nice but i suppose they needed that crudity to be in the film to see how what horrible person the duke actually was and it was quite funny funny but crude to watch um, jim broadbent's character and a duke sing like a virgin, but it it did entertain me at the same time. But it was a it was a bit mm, <laughs> a bit PC on that side. The, the music was the strongest piece. I, I think the music was amazing. Uh, there's some sort of strong titles that came out of it, like Lady Marmalade, uh, the Can Can music, which we did a little sing song last week by Fatboy Slim, and there's just a, a whole load of great soundtrack that goes with Moulin Rouge, and I have to be honest, as soon as the film finished, I stuck on... My Lex is probably going to chime in in a minute, but I stuck on Come What May, and I was just singing away quite happily to that. Come
0: What May is is the kind of number you would expect from mm. an actual musical, and yet it's... This is what we were saying, how mm. he mixes all the music up. At one point, it feels totally theatrical, mm. and as a mm. result, I think it allows the actors to go totally over the top, because they, mm. really, they really do. And at other times, it has a serious tone to it. Sometimes it feels like, like you say, you're almost watching opera. Sometimes it does Uh, feel like cinema. uh It never stops. It takes you from place to place. And I love the fact that when it drifts into the theatrical, often it almost drifts you into a complete fantasy. As you say, you get those scenes where sateen and christian are on top of the elephant and suddenly they're like surrounded in clouds and Mm -hmm. it it reminded me actually of la la land uh, at times in terms Mm. of what they did with those those two yeah
1: and mary poppins as well
0: yes precisely but it worked didn't it (laughs)
1: yeah it it
0: kind of you you didn't watch it thinking oh now this Mm. is getting ridiculous because the whole thing was just pure unadulterated entertainment
1: yeah yeah and just going back to the come what may music apparently that was written for romeo and juliet but wasn't used it was the only original song in the whole of moulin rouge because the other bits were snippets taken from other you know other people's songs basically but because it did that, it couldn't be considered for an Oscar because it was supposed to be used for another film, which I thought was, that's a bit different. Okay, that's a bit interesting. That song, for, for everybody to you know, was used for Satine and, and Christian to tell each other secretly that they loved each other during the presence of the Duke when they were doing Spectacular Spectacular. I also know that uh, there were was, was some challenges for this film. As Lerman's father passed away in the early filming stages, Nicole Kidman broke her rib twice from a corset. Uh, once and then I think she fell during um, Diamond Zara Girl's Best Friend in the Moulin Rouge one of the earlier scenes and she also bust her knee and had to be in a wheelchair and did you spot she was in the wheelchair on one of the scenes in the Moulin Rouge during that Diamond Zara Girl's Best Friend so I don't know whether they reshot that but also the film because of these all these issues overran as well so Star Wars filming was a bit delayed starting because obviously they needed Ewan McGregor to be in Star Wars as well. And they were using the same studio in, in Australia. So some of the last little finishing touches they did was in Madrid, apparently. But no, I thought it was a fantastic film. Acting was over the top sometimes. I think the scene in the elephant room where she was trying to seduce Christian was... It was funny at the start, but it just went on and on. And it was almost like, what is she, do- what is she doing? And I wondered whether on occasions... When they read the cast read the script for the first time, what would they have thought as well? Because all this mishmash of different songs from Queen to oh, name some, shoot some at me because there's quite a few of them. Um, there was there
0: was David Bowie, there was Elton David, John. Yeah, I mean, there was, exactly, there was all loads sorts. of them.
1: So, because there was a mix of those, I wonder if people were like going, "It, it must have been a little bit." It must have been really well written for them to to, to say yes and quite a great star cast as well for them to join up and do this film. But it must have been a bit strange almost seeing hardly any words to to act out other than doing it as a musical form. And there were other people's song words. But as I said, it's very clever and theatrical and the set design was really impressive. So, yeah.
0: It's funny. I actually enjoyed the bits that were over the top because I just saw it as pure theater I literally watched it as if I was watching a play so that scene where Satine is is seducing Christian thinking it's the Jew is totally over the top but for some reason I just like that because I almost felt like Mm. this is just two actors having an absolute ball and you so rarely see Nicole Kidman doing that kind of thing so that's that's how I uh, that's how I yeah, it. Yeah, I
1: suppose that's kind of set precedent for what it was going to be like for other scenes, really, as well, because Like the, the like a Virgin, that song was completely ridiculous as well. But I don't think it would have been as good, actually, if it didn't have these overacted and over-exaggerated scenes in the film. I think it would have been a bit dull and, and boring, maybe, as well. So And we didn't want to know... He's already done Romeo and Juliet. This is, I would say, the first full-blown musical that he's done, because I don't think Strictly Ballroom was a musical either, to my understanding. This one's a real full-blown one. It's got that Indian feel. You can see that Bollywood feel. And it was just very, very different, especially for, you know, when it was released in 2001. I don't I mean in fact, If it was released today, it would be very different as well.
0: I like the fact that Harold Zidler's uh, character, Jim Broadbent, who I agree, in some ways he really kind of stole the show because you wouldn't expect that performance at all from him. Mm. And I like the fact that even though his priority was the club and getting the money from the Duke, he also did recognise you know, the, the, the romance between Satine and, and Christian. And so he, he was caught, but it's just a good to see that he had that empathy. He was with, like a
1: father figure to her.
0: Yes. And the, the scene where Satine, Satine learns something in the third act of the film that's actually delivered by... Harold, yeah. in a very much father-to-daughter yeah. way. And it's a, quite a serious moment that the whole finale really turns on. And it's you do get these quite poignant moments thrown in there, which, which just allow you to have a bit of a breath. And it allows you to try and actually get into the mind of the characters rather than always just enjoying an incredible spectacle. Well, I wonder whether the cast had so much confidence in Lerman after Romeo and Juliet that's
1: probably what it was actually that, that yeah. they
0: were willing to take a bit of a punt yeah. that all this music was you know the whole yeah. thing was going to come together because I was thinking the same thing the, the um, cast wouldn't have had a clue really how all this was no. going to actually all yeah. come together and yet they they must have watched it and been absolutely bowled over
1: yeah but the directing uh, must have been brilliant as well for yeah. them to get that end result so. yeah
0: precisely so, no, I, I was I was just so, so pleased, so, so pleased that I enjoyed it um, just as much as I did the first time around.
1: I would say I enjoyed it, as you said earlier, I think I enjoyed it better watching it on the big screen and may not have enjoyed it as much, maybe, watching it on the small, smaller screen. I need a bigger TV, obviously, so... <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I think I homed in on some of the overtopness as well a little bit, which annoyed me a teeny tiny bit. But I'm gonna give this eight out of ten. Um, and that's more on the set design, the music compilation and yeah, more for the on that side.
0: I'm gonna go eight and a half. Yeah, the over the top stuff worked for me. I actually quite like the rock sand sequence, but that's probably just because I love that track and I like the fact there was a bit of darkness thrown in there. So yeah, mm. eight eight and a half for me.
1: Great. Okay, that's good. Fairly consistent with both from my Sylvester. I know, I know. I was waiting,
0: I was waiting with bated breath, breath to see what uh, you're going to give. I actually, I was thinking it's going to be seven. It's going to be seven. So I was quite surprised uh, there.
1: No, I think it's one of the, definitely, I, was, I couldn't believe it wasn't on my list because it's really strong on the musical and music side. I just obviously hadn't thought about it. And that's, I was really surprised when last week when it came up, I was like, no way it's
0: not on my list. <laughs> well in the same in the same light I couldn't believe the next film on your list line wasn't on mine. I mean Sarah okay. I I was a wreck. I was a wreck at the end of this film. An absolute <laughs> wreck. Oh,
1: it's a good it, film
0: though in a, in a, in a good way. So mm,
1: um uh, mm. yeah you know,
0: I'll I'll let you set the scene for this. Yeah one.
1: so this is this lion was released in 2016. Uh, it's a true story of Saru, really, who, as a five-year-old, insisted on following his brother, Gudu to his workplace. His brother had to earn money to help feed himself, his brother, his sister, and his mother. And his mother worked in a quarry moving rocks. On that trip to his brother's work, it was a night time, so he was incredibly tired and his brother, who must have been about 14, was carrying him and couldn't take him to work like how he was. So he let him carry on sleeping on the train station opposite where he worked. However... Gadoo never returned i'm getting goosebumps just saying that actually um never returned and you know a small child was left on his own in train station and didn't know how to get back home on the train so what he did was he searched all over the place and then ended up back on a train which then took him a hundred and sorry, 1,200 kilometres to Calcutta, West Bengal at the time. Then he spent several months surviving on his own to get picked up and taken to an orphanage. And then he was adopted by Australian Sue and John Brearley. He, however had a few triggers in his past when he was an adult and he tried to retrace where he came from after being in a a dinner party and then he was starting to get a bit obsessed about finding his brother and his mum what happened to them and it was it's a tragic and sad story it's a true story and I felt it's fantastically heartwarming at the end as well it's on my list because it's the acting is brilliant, from the kids to the adults, and it, it really blew my mind away when I watched it the first time. I've watched it probably about three times now, and it's it still gives me that that same feeling. And there's some real beautiful scenes of India throughout the, the film as well. And the kid, his name's Sunny Pawa who plays Saru and he is super cute as well. He's such a cute kid and you can just see really how life can be really tough at times, especially those in developing areas of the world. Uh, it's directed by Garth Davis and written by Saru really himself uh, from his book. And the screenplay was by Luke Davies. And it's got Nicole Kidman playing Sue really who's the adopted mum, Dev, Dev Patel, uh, who's the older Saru. And I think the one I that stole the hearts of everyone is really, as I mentioned, Sonny Power, who played the young Saru. I think it's a brilliant film. I'd love to get your thoughts, Rob.
0: Well, in some ways it made me think of Life of Pi, purely because the reason I like Life of Pi was because the story was extraordinary. And this story is also extraordinary, only of course more so in some ways because it's, it's, it's real, it happened. Mm. The idea that a child of five years old finds himself, you know, the, the scene where he's on the train and, and he realises he has no way of getting off it and he has no idea where it's going and he's having to compute all these emotions is heartbreaking and... Yeah. To go from someone who's five years old, find themselves with adopted parents living in Australia. And then when Deb Patel plays Saru, 25 years old or is it 25? 25
1: years later.
0: yeah. So I guess he's 30 years old or late Mm. 20s, 30s. Mm. The fact that he has to live with that for all that time, all these questions he must have. It's even more heartbreaking that, bless him, he you know, he can't pronounce the name of the village in which he came from, which obviously is, is so critical because it means that not even the authorities before he was adopted could help, could help him. Yeah. And for me, it was just this idea of thinking about what, what that must do to mm. somebody and be so helpless. And I think as well as the little boy being so, so convincing. Which you're right is probably the main takeaway because it's, it's it's so difficult, so sad to watch. But he's a feisty boy, isn't he? he he's yeah. he's you know he he could have just crumbled, but the the great thing about it is that he never does. He always seems to be trying to kind of find a way. He's he's really energetic. He's fast. He's he's a very
1: yeah. He's a, oh, yeah, he's
0: really a very exactly he, whenever he runs it's like he's exactly oh. it's like he's running 100 meters uh at the olympics or something yeah. and, he's, and he's he's a he's a smart cookie as well
1: yeah, yeah. Um,
0: and you think you know in some ways the fact that he was that switched on meant mm. he did manage to ev- evade you know what could have been yeah. a very different outcome from him he's, he's a survivor or, yeah he's a survivor and so i think whilst he probably is the takeaway, no doubt about it. I thought the way Dev Patel played a character who had been living with emotions that you couldn't possibly imagine, I think he did it in such delicate way. I think, mm. you know, you truly believed Saru as a five-year-old actor, completely. And you, for me, you truly believed Dev Patel was the same boy. And I think that's the key to it. Often you see these films where another it's actor comes eyes. in. Yeah, yeah precisely. Eyes. And I think one of the reasons... A, well that I liked it was just purely because it was just such a human story uh, there weren't many moments in this it has to be said that were kind of happy moments I think because we're living with a character who has to take this this throughout his entire yeah. life there was, there was a,
1: it was hard watch but there were some elements of happiness when Saru was older and he met his girlfriend which was played by Rooney Mara and they were doing, they were off, well, walking opposite each other on the street. And then they would do little dance and twirls and then hide behind lampposts and getting each other's attention that way. I thought that was quite sweet. And then obviously the ending was, you know, a great celebration. And, and that was a, a real uplifting point as well. But yeah, majority of the film, it was quite really raw and how it's like over there. And I couldn't believe at the end they'd say like 80,000 children in in orphanages every year is that right every year that's right
0: 80,000 um. children go missing every year yeah and
1: Which it's is... and and you saw that in the film where he when he gets to <laughs> Calcutta he then sees other children just squatting in the underground tube area and it's just like oh my goodness and they're all similar age to him
0: that's right and one of the scenes that for that reason that I found again I was in tears was when when Saru is adopted and he's with his parents for a period of time and they adopt another Indian boy who clearly has some form of special needs or he's on the autistic scale, whatever it might be. And Saru in some ways had become quite used to this loving family. And then this other boy comes into his life and you can see what, what a jolt that is for Saru. In some ways, it almost, I think, took his mind back to his other life. There was just this very difficult scene of this other boy. I'm trying to remember his name now. Mantosh. Yeah. And there was this scene when Mantosh was really struggling and lashing out. And Sue, played by Nicole Kidman, picks him up and gives him a a hug. And both parents are trying to calm him down. And you just have Saru kind of watching on, like kind of wide-eyed. And it just made you think, you know, how many of these children are broken and like this? You could totally understand how this boy was struggling. That just tot- mm. totally had me. I, I like Nicole Kidman's character. I thought was beautifully understated. You don't tend to get this kind of performance from her. I mean, crikey! And if we compare this to Moulin Rouge, it couldn't be well, very <laughs> different. Couldn't be further apart. I mean, if Nicole Kidman was being over the top of as course she was in Moulin Rouge, this is totally the opposite. And I like the fact that you really get under the skin of her character. You really learn mm-hmm. why she adopted. And when you when you learn why she adopted and made that decision, you live things through her eyes that much more. I love the fact that it the film had this real kind of sense of memory, the whole power of memory. And I think when I mentioned last week when we picked the film, I said that you had this character... Um, who basically had to try and track down where he was from to try and find his mother using Google Maps. It wasn't Google Maps, it was Google Earth. But, you know, the idea that some chunks of this film is Saru, played by Deb Patel, uh, literally using Google Earth together with a huge map he has in his room with all these pins in trying to get a radius of where he might be from. You would have thought how do you portray literally seeing a screen of Google Earth in any compelling way? But they do a fantastic job. It just seems to all work so well. And the scene at which Saru has that jolt of memory as an adult when he's round at his friends, that they're having dinner and he goes into the kitchen and he turns around and he sees these Indian sweets. And it takes him straight back to his childhood because it happened to be a sweet that he really liked him he was always Mm -hmm. on his brother to try and get him some at the local market and that's almost like the trigger that starts the search i like the fact that straight after that he didn't go into himself and kind of let it fester you know, the next scene is him back at the table sharing his whole story. So yeah, I like yeah. I love the fact that he let his friends in to support yeah. him. And it was because of that that one of them suggested that, you know, maybe there is a way in which you, you can track your mum down. I I, lo- I really like that.
1: I think Google Earth was mentioned in, in that dinner party as well. Actually, on, on that, Google helped answer this film as well. And they also gave the because this film's has filmed in 2016, so they put Google Earth in the format that it was back in those days, so they actually supported all that, So and it saved them on special effects for, for that as well.
0: Oh, that would make total sense, really. Mm. I like the score. I thought the score was beautiful. It's just a kind of an orchestral score that just swept along, and I, I, I got kind of quite lost in that. And I like the fact that his search wasn't easy, I think it would have been quite tempting when you're trying to put this kind of story on a film, the process of him using his memory, these glimpses of flashbacks he has when he was five years old, together with modern day technology. Oh, then maybe they would have just sped it up. But it is genuinely difficult for him. And yeah, I mean, the ending. I mean, you know, we don't need to talk about the ending because that would obviously completely ruin it. Oh, I was a, I was a me- I was a complete mess. I mean, mm. I think I think we did have a we we did exchange a message, uh, didn't we? After this, and you mentioned how how softer you think you're becoming when you watch. Film. It, I, I think I've said it before. Any film that is to do with mother son, mother daughter, basically any heartbreak to do with a family and children, I'm gone. I'm totally gone now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and the ending. It's a bit like Schindler's List in some ways. At the end there is a nice part of this film where you know the real story is tied up uh, in an incredibly powerful way so yeah yeah, this just had me hook line and sinker
1: it's funny because i think when we watched uh, what was it city of god i said i hadn't watched many films with a foreign film but most of this film was actually in hindi or bengali as well and then i would say the second half was in was in English but there wasn't much Hindi because you are just watching this child's journey really and you just it's just watching the scenes you didn't actually he didn't actually have to talk that much you could see the emotions you could in oh so I think when he was at the police station they asked what's your mother's name and he just said in Hindi mother because he didn't know what his mother's name and it was just like oh broke broke my heart as well I mean
0: it's not really a spoiler I just think an actual fact I thought this was a lovely lovely touch Mm. at the end it turns out that his name is Saru and he calls himself Saru everyone calls him Saru but as it happens um his real name was Sharu Sharu Sharu,
1: Sharu, Um, because
0: again he couldn't he wouldn't have known it at the time. It, it was very subtle difference in the spelling, and I love the fact the meaning of Sharu in, in Hindi was lion. Hence, hence the title mm. of the film. Which I just thought that's such a beautiful touch, isn't it? Mm. You know, to, to know that the film was named after him like that.
1: Yeah. So go on, then. You're going to give us a rating.
0: I am. I love these types of films, as you can probably tell. Um, I don't necessarily like being brought to a complete quivering wreck, but it was just so, so so real so i am going to give this 9 out of 10 for me
1: mm-hmm. i thought really hard about this because it, i it was a roller coaster ride of emotions but generally the whole thing was was excellent i was in tears for quite a long period of time actually throughout the film and I, as i said i think take me back about 20 years i probably wouldn't have cried or maybe had a little bit of a tear i was a bit harder then maybe i've softened definitely from having children and a family etc but for me I was looking at this and how do I compare it with Life of Pi very different because it's real I'm going to give it a whopping great big 10 out of 10 for me because I absolutely loved it and I think I could watch it over again and I'll still have exactly the same emotions and shock and um, celebration as well that he he gets what he wants at the end of the day.
0: I'm feeling quite emotional myself.
1: You've given a ten. We've got, we got, yeah, a, we've got, we've got another yeah. ten. That is quite something.
0: Wow! Well, a
1: whopping it's... great big nine and a ten. One to watch definitely.
0: So of all the so. films, we so all the films we've seen so far, this comes in at number two, doesn't it? Behind Life of Pi.
1: Mm-hmm. It does. It does. Very good. Right. So moves us on swiftly to this week's pickings.
0: Okay, so I'll choose one of yours first. So, the genre is war.
1: War! War! War. Okay. I have nine wars.
0: Okay. I'm going to go for number five.
1: Number five is Platoon. Oh, brilliant. 1986 with Charlie Sheen, Tom Berenger and Willem Dafoe. You can find it on Sky Store, Amazon Prime and to rent or buy from most online channels.
0: So this is about a young soldier in Vietnam who faces a moral crisis when confronted with the horrors of war and the duality of man. This is one of my favourites. It's on my list as well.
1: Oh, we finally got
0: one that's on both of our lists. I know, precisely. No, this has always been, yeah, always been high up on my list. And it's interesting that this was obviously stars, was a whole host of stars in this, but Charlie Sheen, who plays the main character. It was his dad, martin sheen who played a similar character in apocalypse now and both both of those films have a voiceover so you're kind of seeing the film and it's narrated through uh through the main lead so i thought that was quite interesting that's almost like charlie sheen ended up um, doing a film in exactly the same way that his dad did
1: i haven't seen this for ages actually so i'm looking forward to seeing this cool cool
0: so give me a genre sarah
1: so the genre i picked out this week is sci-fi Sci
0: fi. Okay, so I have 17 on the list.
1: <gasps> wow, you've got loads more than me. Uh, I will go for 15. <laughs> 15
0: is Arrival.
1: Rival? I've not seen that one.
0: So Arrival was directed by Denis Villeneuve. It stars Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner. And it's a story of a linguist who works with the military to communicate with alien life forms. Um, after these mysterious spacecrafts appear around the world.
1: I think I have seen that, actually. Yeah. So, yeah, okay, cool. Sounds it good. Got,
0: it's a great film. It got lost, I think it was a year when there were plenty of other kind of maybe slightly bigger bigger blockbuster films. It was, It's quite, quite a unique take on what is, you know, the typical alien invasion type film. So, yes. And Arrival is available to rent on, yeah, all platforms, Amazon, Google, BFI, Apple, YouTube, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera.
1: Now, looking forward to that. It's a platoon and arrival for this week. And you can catch us also on our Facebook site if you look for Two Small Cokes, where we've got all our previous podcasts. What sort Abs- of reviews have we done so far, Rob? Let me
0: try and think of some. We've done Good, Bad, The Ugly. We've done Whiplash, Bridesmaids, we've done Vertigo, we've done City of Gods, Avatar, yeah. Patriot Games, Aliens. I don't think I've got them all, but there's a handful. There's a load. Hopefully oh. there's always something for everybody. So watch along if you can.
1: Yep, yeah, sounds good. Great. Cool. All right. Thank you very much, Rob. Have a good week. You,
0: you, you were on fire today with your uh, Moulin Rouge facts. Uh... You beat me for facts <laughs> today, no doubt about it. Absolutely. Film nerd. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, have a good one. We'll see you next week.
1: Cheers, Rob. Bye. Bye. <laughs>